There is a whole world outside of the church that believes that all you need is love and yet struggles to find it. But just as God draws us to himself by his love, the church is called to be a community of love that draws the world in. Join Dr. Brown as he looks at three truths about this overflowing love we have. This is Hearing is Believing. First John chapter 3 and verse 16. And that, wor- uh, that verse says something in particular. It says something very audacious. It's always fascinating to me. Here's what it says. By this we know love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So here we learn that John is so bold and audacious as to say, this is the way that we know love. And in that same letter, 1 John, he's going to write a little later, he's going to say this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That is, it's been revealed. It's become visible. It's been made known that He sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. And then later in 1 John 4 and verse 19, he says it plainly, we love because He first loved us. So remember this John is the same John who in another John 3.16 would say that love was the motivator for the sending of the Son. For God so, what? Loved the world that He gave His only Son. And so this message of love forms a community of love, and the community of love will eventually fill the whole world with love. And our world is looking for love, but is doing so in all the wrong places. The 1960s, some of you remember that decade. It was a turbulent decade, a defining decade in so many ways in the history of our nation. There was a hope in the 1960s, that the world would embrace a message of love. Song after song after song came out talking about love, but there was one song in particular that hoped to spread the message of love, but unfortunately that song offered no foundation for the love that it said. The 1960s was a time in culture where the thought was, all you need is love. But that message ultimately falls short. All they can do is fall flat. You see, because it has no basis. Christian confession has the basis. Christian confession has the foundation for love. And the Christian foundation for love is Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that's the sweetest name that I know, Jesus Christ. Christ. So today I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, and we'll see if we have any more sound things going on today. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at the importance of community, the importance of that community loving one another. Matter of factly, you're going to get over to First Thessalonians chapter 4, and as you look into verse 9, you'll see one of the Greek words that you're familiar with. You'll see Philadelphia. That's that word there, in, uh, or at least a form of it, in verse 9, where it says brotherly love. The community was formed in love. Remember, that's what we just said, John 3, 16, for God so loved. And so, we're formed in love, and as ones that are formed in love, we should in return love. A community that is loved should be loving. Love God, love one another, and love others. Love God, love one another, and love others. And that's the proper order of things. You cannot truly love one another unless you love God. You cannot truly love another, listen, unless you love God. You say, well, wait just a minute. Do you really? What did John say? This is the way we know love. There's no other love. You can call it whatever you want. I remember I used to have my pastor. He used to talk about puppy love. And have you ever heard that language before? Puppy love. Well, my pastor used to say, well, it might be puppy love, but it was sure real to the puppy. In other words, you can call it whatever you want it but you won't find love unless you know God. You cannot truly love one another unless you love God. And here's what I believe. A person who loves God will love others because God is love and loves others. That's the God that the Bible presents. This is the God of reality, this God who is loving. And I can say, as a benefactor of His love, I sure am glad that God loves. Let's read the Bible together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, and I will read through verse 12 and pray, and then we'll jump in. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And that indeed is what you're doing all to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You that we have the privilege, according to Your Word that's come to us, to turn our attention now towards this fact of love. And then, Lord God, to think that You teach us love. Father, in this moment of time in our worship experience, we simply want to say now in the quietness of our hearts, thank God for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are three truths that I want us to learn today about an overflowing love. Three truths today that not only ground our love, but encourage us to live that love outward. That not only ground our love, but encourage us to express that love. 
Number one, write this down. God directs our love. God directs our love. Look at, look at verse 9. And in verse 9, we see a word that's only been only used once in the Greek New Testament. Only used once in the Bible. And that is this word, taught by God. Look at what it says. You have been taught by God to love one another. So when we encounter that verse, we think about it, we need to ask ourselves the question, how did God teach these Thessalonian believers to love one another? How did He teach them to love? But really, before we get to even that question, let's unpack it just a little bit more, and let's point out that God Himself is the one who teaches us. It's God Himself, not an emissary, not an ambassador, not a representative. It's God Himself who teaches us to love. Remember what Paul said here, the prayer at the end of chapter 3? The, the prayer there, he's asking God personally to do something. Look at what it says, chapter 3 and verse 11. And notice this personal language, may our God, our God, and Father Himself, Himself, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, And may the Lord, we can encounter that and say Himself, may the Lord Himself do what? Make you increase and abound in what? What's the the word? Love. For who? For one another. And who else? And for all. Talk about love. Christianity stands apart from any other faith, any other expression of belief in that we confess that God loves us. Did you know that today? God loves you. Let's all say that together. God loves me. Now say it like you mean it. God loves me. One more time, because I'm not convinced. God loves me, and He does. That's the message of Christianity. God loves you. You can have a relationship with God. God has a desire. What would God desire? He who can have anything, what would He desire? The Bible says that He desires you. The God of the universe desires you. He loves you. And He'll stop at nothing to make you His very own. He who formed the heavens fashioned you. The Bible says God knew your days before there was one of them. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you were made in your mother's womb, woven by God. The Bible says that He has loved you with an everlasting love. In other words, before you even had a thought of Him, He thought of you. Before you even considered Him, He considered you. And the way that he considered you was with those three words that are so powerful. I love you. God loves you. He is the fount of our love, and his love overflows for you. His love, if we really consider it this morning, God's love is overwhelming. He moved heaven and earth to bring you close to Himself. 
Remember that we love him too, but it's always after he expresses his love towards us. We love him, but not before we are not before he loved us first. We learn to love because he teaches us to love, and he teaches us to love not only by telling us to love, but by demonstrating his love. It's one thing to tell somebody. It's one thing for love to be forced, to be made. But God doesn't do that. He goes so far as to demonstrate His love for us. Yes, yes, God commands His love, but He doesn't just command. He goes farther than simply telling. He shows. He demonstrates. And there again is why Christian confession stands apart from any other, um, any other confession than anything that man can confess. Because here's what we confess. We confess what Paul confesses in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows, He demonstrates, He puts it on display, His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God saw you in all your warts, in all your blemishes. God sees you in who it is that really makes you, you. Those things that you don't want anyone else to know about, God sees that. And you know what he says to you? I love you anyway. And there's nothing you can do to ever make me stop loving you. That's what God says. And the invitation then is to respond to this love, receive this love, believe in this love. Because He Himself, the God of the universe, I wish I could say it and you would get it, God, the God of the universe loves you. 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 Personally. Intimately. He loves you. So God, he says in verse 9, these Thessalonians, they have no need for anyone to write to them. They themselves have been taught of God. So how does God teach us to love? Well, just consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? What can we learn from Jesus to learn how to love? Jesus shows us love because He Himself is love. Jesus shows us humility. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus shows us forgiveness, even from the cross. Remember what Jesus says? Even from the cross, forgiveness was on His mind. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus shows us justice. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, a wrath that was reserved for us. He propitiated it, or He satisfied it. He took the penalty that was justly deserved for you, justly deserved for me. He satisfied it forever. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel who were led astray by those religious oppressors. And Jesus says these people, these religious people, they swallow camels, but they strain on gnats. And they're putting ropes around people, dragging them down. Jesus came to break the bonds. 
He shows us justice. He shows us mercy. The Bible says in Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He shows us kindness. And his kindness has a purpose. And his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Kindness, mercy, justice, forgiveness, humility, all in Jesus. And we could go on and on just to teach us how to love, just to teach us how to love. Remember, God doesn't just show us, God doesn't just tell us, be loving. He shows us. That's why I believe if you don't have a regular reading of the Gospels, you should. I don't know where you are in your quiet time or your devotion time, but if you haven't read a Gospel recently, go back and read it. And maybe supplement whatever you're reading with that because that's what the Bible is, is all arcing towards this. It's all going in this direction. It's all showing us here's the archetype of what it means. Everything in Jesus. God teaches us. He directs our love. And, but how does He do that? Well, something else He does. There's one specific Old Testament reference that I think through when I think about how God teaches us to love. And it's a passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, where God says that He's going to take the law and write it on the hearts of His people. Now before, what did God do? He took His law and He wrote it on a tablet, and he, they set those tablets up, and you would have to walk by those tablets and see those tablets, but God knew that it wasn't enough for those people to just have the tablets written about, or to have this head knowledge. God says, I don't want your head. I don't want your lips to say one thing when in reality you say one thing with your lips, but I see your heart and I see a heart that's far from me. Remember, we're talking about love. God doesn't want your lip service. He wants your heart. But here's what has to happen. Left in and of yourself, you can't give your heart to God. God has to remove, the Bible says in Ezekiel, He has to remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's the difference between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh? Here's the difference. One is dead weight. The other is living. And so listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah 31. And as we read this together, it's up on the screen for you. As we read this together, I want you to notice the the familial language, the, the loving language that God has. And I'll point it out to you. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh. And so, right off the bat, we have this anticipation of something that's coming in the last days. There are days that are coming. Days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. See that love language? To bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. See that love language? Declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. Here it is. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And then here's the whole heartbeat of the Bible. Here it is. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then look at the result. Don't miss this. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, 
saying, No, Yahweh, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God will take that which separates us from having fellowship with Him. Our sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and will bear it no more. Because God takes that and He takes what it is that's separating us from having relationship with Him and He removes it. He does that. He chased us. Some of you ladies are wanting to be pursued. Some of you guys want to be pursued too. You just won't tell anybody. God's pursuing you, even today. All of us want to be wanted. All of us want to be wanted. And here's what I'm trying to tell you today. God wants you. And He has gone to great lengths to make you His own. The great lengths that He's gone is sending His Son To forgive iniquity and remember your sins no more. And it's interesting that God does this act on the inside by giving us the Holy Spirit, writing His law on our hearts. God does this through the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's promised and fulfilled in Jesus. It's, this is why Paul says, I don't need to teach you. This is why John said the same thing in his first letter. He says in 1 John 2, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you don't have have need that anyone should teach you. You don't need a teacher because you're taught of God. You have the best teacher on the world living on the inside of you. We have the Holy Spirit to teach us. Isn't this exactly what Paul's already mentioned? Here in chapter 4 and verse 8, look at what it says. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God. And what does he want us to know about God? This God who gives his Spirit to you. You know why God gives his Spirit to you? Because he loves you. The greatest gift he could give was Jesus. And then he goes above and beyond and gives us the Spirit sealing us. And isn't it interesting, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, teacher, we know that you're a teacher. What, is, what, is it, how, what does it mean to inherit heaven? And Jesus said, you have to be born again. You have to experience what Jeremiah said. You have to have this new life, this new birth. You've got to have this new life. You've got to have heart surgery. You've got to have the heart of stone that won't beat for anybody and taken out. And you have to have the heart of flesh put in. And God says, only I can do that. But then what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, the Spirit moves where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes. And you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. He says, so it is with the Spirit of God. Isn't it interesting? We don't see the Spirit. We feel Him. We see the results of the Spirit. The only time I think we saw a manifestation of the Holy Spirit except at the baptism of Jesus when we had the dove was when we have them on the day of Pentecost cloven tongues of fire on their head. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit performs a work on the inside of us and then what's on the inside eventually flows out. What's within eventually overflows. And let me say this. 
the more we know Him, the sweeter it goes. Number two, this morning, true love only gets sweeter with time. Look at what Paul says. I love this. He says, you know this. You don't need anybody to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Why does he do this? Why does he encourage, why does he encourage them to love more? I think that he encourages them to love more because that's exactly what love does. That's exactly what love does. True love only gets sweeter. You know, I don't know if you ever played this game with your mother or you played this game with your children, perhaps, but you say, I love you. And then they say, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. What's it about that, that we desire to love more and more? Because that's what love is. Love is sweet. True love is so sweet. And what I mean by that, I don't mean, oh, it's sweet. I mean, it's to be desired. It's to be desired. I know so much more about my Katie than I did the first time that I met her. And let me just be honest, that love is not the same. That love that I have for my wife is not the same. It's deeper. And I wish that you could have been with us here yesterday, and we were sitting about right there watching the wedding happen, and I wish that you could have felt what I felt when Katie grabbed my hand during the exchange of vows. Usually I'm in a wedding or I'm officiating a wedding or she's doing the wedding, and so I don't usually get to watch many weddings, but to have her grab my hand, (laughs) I can't even describe it to you. True love only gets sweeter. That doesn't mean that it's not hard. Love is hard. It often requires sacrifice. Love sometimes hurts, but that's how love grows. And the deeper it grows, listen, if it's true, the deeper it grows, the sweeter it gets. And some of you in your marriages, you need to be reminded of that today. You need to be reminded, you don't deserve her, but she loves you. You don't deserve him, but he sure does love you. And then what does Paul do? He calls them to more. The reason he calls them to more is because this love is love, and it's good. You see, this is what our hearts have been dreaming of. In our case, as Christians, this love is is true, and this love is pure. And because it's true, because Christians have the market on love, we do, because we know the true story of the whole world, and we know the way the story goes. It goes with like this. God loves you, and He sent His Son because He loves you, so that you can have an eternal relationship with Him. It's urgent. It's urgent. Look at what Paul does. He says this. He says in verse 10, that's indeed what you're doing, all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And then he says this, but we urge you, we urge you, brethren, to do this more and more. 
The reason it's urgent is because we are in a world that is, that is trying to love without a foundation. Trying to love without a foundation. They're trying to form alliances out of paper mache. God created the church and poured His love upon us so that as diverse as we are, as far estranged as we really should be, we have this thing as our common confession. We are unified by this fact. God loves us and we love Him. And we who have received that love that has been formed in us are to show the world what true love is. The world, this is why the Bible talks about, the Bible talks about those who dwell in darkness have received a great light. They can form all types of affection. They can do all of these types of things, but they don't love. Call it whatever you want to call it, but it's not love in the biblical sense. So they're, they're all about wondering how to form and how to be happy and all of these things. And then God comes in as the light in the middle of darkness and He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And you and I are the beneficiaries of that love. You and I have received that love. And so now our commission is to go and love. Go love. Sacrificially, if it means that. And I pray the Lord causes our love for one another to grow sweeter and sweeter. That we as First Baptist Startville would only grow sweeter and sweeter in our love. I pray that we never come to a day where we think, man, it's it's a bitter taste in my mouth to come to that church. Because I just don't like him. I don't like her. I can't believe that they, this, that. I pray that our Lord would cause our love for one another to grow sweeter. You see, there is nothing more frustrating than a frustrated church. And people can pick up on that a mile away. There's no encouragement for visitors to come to a church if the church is frustrated. But what a fellowship. What a joy divine when a church loves one another and they do it more and more. You know what that means, First Baptist? Whatever you've done to be loving, you can do more. You can do more. That's what God's calling us. Doesn't it say this? You're you're doing it. You're rocking it, they say to the Thessalonians. You're doing it. But I want you to do it more and more. Because there is The well is too deep. We haven't yet reached the bottom for the depths of God's love. I pray that God would give First Baptist Startville this God-directed sweet love that considers others. And that's number three this morning. True love considers others. Love considers others. Look at at how the, the passage ends today. Look at verse 11. Everything in verse 11, and here's the, here's the temptation. We come to verse 11, and we're going to see a lot of stuff that's going to concern us, and it's going to focus us to tell us what to do. But it has a reason. Look at verse 11, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, and to aspire, that's the same word that he talks about Timothy using the uh, wanting to become an overseer in the church, aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs, I love it. Paul says, mind your business. 
and to work with your hands as we've instructed you. And then look at this, verse 12. All of that so that you may walk properly before God and be dependent on no one. Is that what your Bible says? So that we can walk properly before who? Others. So that we can walk properly before outsiders. So everything in verse 11 has its end. Remember what love does. It always expresses itself outward. It's always an outward expression. It's not some quietism. It's always an outward expression. Love lives loud, some people have said before. But think about what happens here. God's calling us to live our life before others. And let me say this, for any church that doesn't care what the world thinks, you just need to read verse 12. You need to read 1 Corinthians. Read the whole of Scripture where we learn this story of God seeking and saving lost ones. you know what that means? It means God came to us. God considered us. We were outsiders, and by His grace, He draws us into Himself. By His grace, He draws us into Himself. And there is a whole world out there that we want to come in here. And I pray that that's true. I don't want to assume that that's true. I want to pray that that's true. There's a whole world out there that we want to come in here because we have the market on true love, true fellowship, true joy, true satisfaction. We're pilgrims on the way to glory, and we want others to join with us. We're steading on the uh, we're, we're heading on the straight and narrow, and we want others to not forsake the way, but to come to lead to the way that leads to everlasting life, that leads to everlasting satisfaction. We want others to come along with us. There's a whole world out there called, first, called Starkville, Mississippi, called Mississippi, called America, called the world, and we want to have some kind of influence on them, not because of our sake, but because of Christ and His sake. But how how on earth are they going to get in here and listen to what we say? Are you ready for the answer? We have to go to them. That's exactly what God did for us. And let me say this. We won't go to them if we don't love one another. We won't consider them if we can't see beyond ourselves. Look at verse 11. If we're busybodies, if we're not aspiring to live quietly, if we're not minding our own affairs, we won't get them if we're afraid to work. It takes work to love. It takes work to go. And my prayer is that we will learn to love to go, that our loving would labor and our labor would produce love. Now, don't read verse 11 and misunderstand. Verse 11 is not calling for a quiet faith. Just be quiet. Scripture is calling us here towards a confident faith. 
This faith doesn't need to say anything. It is too busy standing amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wondering, just awestruck, wondering how He could love you, a sinner condemned unclean. And so you're too busy saying how marvelous, how wonderful. You're too busy being transfixed, and you say, hey, 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 come over here. Look at this. You see this? Aren't you? God loves me. God gave His life for me. God invites me to pray to Him with the confidence that He listens to me. The love that God calls us to is love in action. This love is visible. It isn't a slogan that, that hangs on a sign on a wall somewhere in some vestibule or narthex. Or it's, a, it's, a, it's a sign that hangs on the door of the wall of our heart. It's a sweet love. It's a love that draws others in. You see, the Beatles, they, they, in the 1960s, the Beatles, they weren't altogether wrong. Today, you need love. But you won't find love outside the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. A church that, a loving church knows this. It should be true, should be true, that you won't find a loving community outside the church. Now listen to that carefully. It should be true that you won't find a loving community outside the church. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't find acceptance. If you want somebody to accept you, then you can join a club or you can join any organization that you want. But to find love, to find what you need, you're not going to find it outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the community formed by love and formed in love. We are loving, listen, because we're loved. We're confident. We're not trying to earn love. We're not trying to get approval. We realize we can't explain it, but for whatever reason, God loves us. And that makes us confident. And when we're confident, then we're loving. We are loving because we're loved. You see, love is what God demonstrated towards us in Jesus. Jesus is love. Jesus is truth. Jesus is pure. And this is what He said. I came seeking and saving lost ones, and any who come to me, I'll by no means cast out. And he is ready today to receive all of those who come to him by faith. You see, all you need is love. God is love. And I'm grateful that I can tell you today, maybe for the first time, if not for the first time, than to tell you again, God loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. It is indeed our privilege to confess that truth. Help us who are the beneficiaries of your love to be loving. 
And Father, if there's one here today that perhaps for the first time when we said it out loud, they couldn't say God loves me because they weren't convinced of it. Would you convince them? Would you convince them in their heart that God loves them? Father, would they say, perhaps for the first time, I love you, God. And Lord, I just pray that they would feel your presence all about them. A real love for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.